Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, even the chat section in YouTube and other video platforms are probably the first names that come to mind when you hear the term social media. And it's a good term, really, because social media really started as something, well, social. People connecting online locally and around the world into new digital communities. Now, to be fair, we've done that for years with online forums and, if you remember, IRC chat. So the idea isn't exactly new, but the way that these social media companies have made it so easy to connect and to share over the last, I don't know, maybe about 15 years or so, is really unprecedented in all of human history. So clearly there are benefits to people being able to connect with each other so easily and all over the world, but we need to consider the security and at an individual level some privacy concerns when it comes to social media. And especially when it comes to privacy, there are a lot of gray areas and even cultural beliefs that come into play. And there are also some hard truths about security and privacy that we should be aware of as individuals as government entities, as organizations, as companies, as we make our own decisions on how we consume and how we use various social media. With me today is returning guest and cybersecurity expert T.J. Sayers, Director of Intelligence and Incident Response at the Center for Internet Security, and we'll be discussing what the cybersecurity community has learned over the years about how social media is used, sometimes for business purposes and sometimes for more nefarious purposes, to collect and analyze information about you, about me, and frankly, about most of us online. My name is Philip Gervasi, and you're listening to Telemetry Now. Hey, TJ, it's really great to have you back on the uh, the podcast today. Uh, I've been looking forward to this topic for a long time. I, I'm a big social media user. I think you know that. Uh, our listeners certainly do that. Know that uh, you know using Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, I've been toying with TikTok a little bit and things like that. Um, so today, uh, this this topic of of the security concerns around social media is very intriguing to me, and I'm sure to our, our listeners as well. Uh, but before we dive in, would you uh, would you just give us a little background about yourself uh, and what you do? Sure. Yeah, would love to. And thanks, Phil, for having me on. Really looking forward to the to the discussion. My, uh, my background uh, is largely DOD initially, um, and then I got into this field, uh, cybersecurity in particular, through a graduate school internship. It was one of the requirements in the program, and that landed me at CIS for the better part of the last decade. My current role, I'm the Director of Intelligence and Incident Response, particularly over the MS and EIISEC. So to give the audience a little bit of clarity for those of you who are unfamiliar with what CIS is, what we do, um, what the multi-state and elections infrastructure information sharing and analysis centers do, um, CIS's vision basically is to, to lead the global community to secure the right ever-changing connected world. So essentially give confidence in the connected world. The mission is to make the connected world a safer place, and particularly we do this by developing, validating, and promoting industry best practices, which uniquely is, is guided um, largely in coordination with the global IT security community. Um, so a lot of feedback from the IT security community. We work with the global community to come up with these best practices and guidelines. Um, and they're all aimed at mitigating uh, pervasive cyber threats. So kind of how I fit into the picture is I work under the ISAC umbrella, so multi-state 
and election infrastructure ISAC. And those two ISACs are tasked basically with providing cybersecurity services and support for the nation's state, local, tribal, and territorial and election office entities. So you can think of that as basically any taxpayer-funded organization that falls below the federal level. On the federal level, we have a cooperative agreement with the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, and they oversee not just um, federal infrastructure, which is their primary domain, they also, in tandem with us, help secure the SLTT community. And then CIS in particular is that umbrella parent company where the ISACs fall under. Okay. And uh, and for our audience's sake, by federal, you mean United States, right? That's correct. Yep. Um, yeah, that sounds like a very broad scope uh, that CIS encompasses. Uh, your purview really, really has a lot of tentacles into a lot of areas. And last time we spoke, we talked about network security. We talked about uh, the various threats that are top of mind for you out there in the world. I think we even discussed social engineering a little bit. So let's, uh, let's focus then on specifically social media. What is the problem with social media? Actually, let me start with this. What specific social media platforms are an issue for you? Sure, yeah. I'll preface this, I guess, with, you know, a lot of good comes out of social media. As, as you said earlier, a lot of people use social media. You yourself and your company use social media. We at CIS use social media, right? There's a, a huge tangible value add with just connectedness, the ability to share, the sense of community that it gives people apart from being physically located together, right? You can have now access to breaking news right at your fingertips that was previously unavailable in, in our history. You can brand build, you know, release new products and services out to the community without, you know, being confined to just a couple avenues of doing that, right? So there's a, there's a ton of benefits to social media, and I'm, I'm not necessarily here to try to persuade people not to, to leverage social media, just giving more of a secondary kind of perspective from a security side of, you know, where the privacy implications may be and some things to take into consideration. And then we'll talk about um, the differences between social media generally and then certain social media companies that may have larger motives beyond just revenue. Um, so I think some, like, there's a threefold thing I like to note, um, as a kind of guiding principle, right? Um, one is technology sometimes knows you better than you know yourself. Um, and this is shockingly true for social media. The second is, is if you're not paying for the product, you most likely are the product, right? So, and this is also true of social media you don't typically pay for social media. There may be some business applications or, or specifics where you may, but by and large, you're not paying for that product. You typically are the product. Um, and then not all social media is created equal, kind of what I alluded to just a couple of minutes ago is, you know, certain platforms are out there and, you know, their main aim is just marketing, you know, getting to know you as a user and being able to present certain advertisements, maybe sell some of that information to other marketing companies so they can, you know, better cater their products and services to you. Um, see what you're interested in so they can write more articles that are catered to that viewing audience, things like that, right? But there's other platforms, uh, TikTok in, in specific, that have a little bit more of a strategic influence or geopolitical aim, um, which I'm sure we'll get into uh, in a little bit. But every individual and organization has to do their own risk assessment, right? right? They have to determine what social media exposure works or doesn't work for them, which platforms they want to use and don't want to use, what types of content you want to put up there. Um, and, you know, that is a 
that's truly an individual or an organization-based decision for every individual. Sure, sure. And uh, you, you sort of didn't answer my question at first. <laughs> you, you went broad and said, social media is okay. You know, if it's used properly, there's some privacy concerns. And that actually is one of my other questions I want to ask you. Uh, there's a difference between privacy and security, isn't there? There certainly is, yeah. So there's there's a couple differences here. So you have in the security aspect, right? There's the at the kind of notion of secrecy, right? So there's certain things that you want to be, you know, in the realm of secret. So that's everything from classified information at a government level, right? That's secret stuff that's not for public disclosure. And then there's the private side, where it's not necessarily secret, but it's private, right? A good example would be maybe a discussion you have with your family at the dinner table, right? That's not necessarily secret, but it's certainly private. It's not necessarily something you want to share with everybody, right? And then where does security fit in is that oftentimes security is trying to prevent operational impact, right? But there's also a whole nother realm of security where it's trying to prevent the unintentional or intentional exposure of people's private information, right? So health information, you know, places you travel to, connections that you have, um, anything that the, you know, an individual or an organization may consider like proprietary information or personal information or confidential information. Security also gets into that respect of trying to protect the disclosure of that information. Right, right. And, and, in, and in this context, as far as social media is concerned, is the primary concern mostly then uh, privacy, not necessarily secrecy? And I, I guess I'm talking about the individual, not necessarily like the Department of Defense's Twitter account, right? Obviously, there's going to be some secrecy involved there. Yeah, I think the answer here is it depends. Uh, and again, it, it depends on the specific platform. So certain platforms have you know, one, one purpose and that's getting users on, that's trying to mobilize, you know, activity on the platform and the end result is some type of revenue for that company. Right. And then there's other platforms that may be revenue focused, but they also have ulterior motives. So it's more of a privacy issue with most social media platforms and with one in particular, and maybe some others, it's somewhat of a security issue as well. And I would say it, it largely comes back to what is the issue we're talking about, right? Is it a, you know, um, strategic type of thing? Is it, you know, we don't want employees accidentally putting stuff online on our social media accounts that's not for public release yet? Um, it also comes back to who's behind that platform, right? Sometimes you, you just purely have that revenue uh, motivation. And other times, as I'm saying, particularly here with TikTok, you do have that geopolitical or more strategic influence aim. And that may be more of a security issue because they're not just, you know, looking at you as a person and what you're consuming and what you're viewing. They're collecting and cataloging and trying to build a bigger picture for more strategic and geopolitical aims down the road. So that becomes now a, a clear security issue writ large for all users if that is taking place compared to just information gathered for the purposes of, of revenue. Right. Does that make sense? Does that answer the yeah, question? Yeah, that, that, that makes sense to me. And I think for uh, individual users, again, again not uh, companies and, and governments and that sort of thing, right? For individual people that are using these platforms, I think the whole private, privacy concern is probably going to exist on a spectrum. 
in my experience working in tech for many years and, and for a short time specifically focused on network security, there were folks that were very, very, very tight with information. They didn't want anything. Uh, they did not use, they don't, they never use cameras on zoom, uh, any kind of geolocation information. They don't want anything out there. Uh, VPN, you know, or, or whatever kind of a VPN browser all, all the time. Uh, but then there were those that just didn't care. And they, you know, like the whole joke, like you don't need to tweet every thought. Well, they tweeted every thought. There, there are those folks that everything, it's just a brain dump on Facebook constantly. And I, and I feel like there's a spectrum there on the individual side with regard to privacy, because I, I never saw any of those individuals that were willing to share private information, also share social security numbers and bank information and passport numbers, right? Uh, the, sec- the secret right. stuff. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I, I think this gets into a whole nother thing we probably should outline too. And then maybe I'll, I'll jump into some more of the specifics on the differences behind like a, a Facebook and a TikTok, mm-hmm. right? But kind, what kind of data is being collected and why, yeah, right? Yeah. So it, typically what's being collected, you know, across the social media space is like device data, right? So maybe device name, the make, the model, hardware specifications. It could be the time zone. You mentioned geolocation. Um, it may be even be other apps installed. Oftentimes when you install some social media applications, it asks you if it can, you know, get access to your contact list, or it may ask you if you have other apps installed, or when you sign into that other app, it may ask if, you know, such and such application can access that. And really it's more often than not just for usability and for user experience that that's happening, but that can also be for ulterior motives, right? Um, there's other things too, like network data, uh, IP address, location beyond just your IP address as well. Sometimes the GPS is used as well to find the specific location, maybe of an image or a video that was taken, or when you use the application that's being captured, cellular or Wi-Fi information. It may even be what cell carrier you use or your number. Um, anything pretty much upfront that you put into the platform to sign up, like your name, your email, your date of birth, things like that, that's all being captured typically with the particular social okay. media vendor. But there's also a whole nother realm that I don't think people typically think about. And there's a lot of talk about algorithms and catering content to certain users compared to other users. And there's a lot that goes into it. And all algorithms are not made the same, right? But by and large, how long you've spent on the site or application, how long you've scrolled, how fast you've scrolled, where your finger or your mouse is placed on the screen, the time of day you're looking at the website or application, what content you're looking at, what time of day. You're also, you know, potentially having things like what you viewed, how long you viewed, did you skip around the video, did you watch the entire thing or only half of it? Did you immediately back out of the video and go into another video or post? You know, how many times have you viewed that? Did you come back multiple times to look at it? Maybe that's more than just a precursory kind of skim type of thing. Other stuff like how long have you paused? When you're scrolling through, did you pause longer on a certain article or video or image? Um, What time of day did you pause longer on that? Are there other areas where you visited more often than other aspects of the site? Any likes, comments, suggestions? Did you share the content? All that stuff is captured, right? And it's basically built in uh, when you're using that website or application to try to feed you content that you're more apt to click on or view, right? So, and that gets into another aspect too, is once the algorithm gets an initial baseline of what you viewed, 
it will then begin actually displaying content to you, which could be as immediate after just one visit and one click on a particular thing on that site or application, right? And then it's going to factor in when, I, when the algorithm does feed you this content, do you click on it? You know, do you scroll through it? How long did you view what was fielded up to you based on your previous viewing history and interaction with the application, right? And this kind of creates a baseline of what you look at, when you look at it, you know, what interests you have. And, you know, depending upon the company, you know, this could be used for marketing to you or it could be used for trying to shift the narrative maybe on a really politically sensitive issue or for, you know, causing some type of, uh, disposition shift in a in a population, or maybe they're just going to shield certain content entirely. Right? We've seen this uh, with TikTok in particular, um, where there's certain discussions happening, uh, maybe around like the Uyghur Muslims, or you know, it could be some type of Chinese protest, and they will basically prohibit any content or criticism of those things, or viewing of those things, or criticism of the Chinese government from being viewed or posted on the platform. But I, and I'm, I'm going to play the devil's advocate here and, uh, and ask this question, uh, other than that control of information, which obviously is either going to be nefarious in its, uh, in its goal or just isn't good for a citizenry. I get it. I get that. Other than that, who cares? Like w- what's the difference if, if Facebook knows what I like, if it makes my experience better and I get it, they're trying to sell. I mean, we kind of all already know this. We're training the model every time we click on a thing. So who, who cares? Yeah, and again, that goes down to, you know, this goes down to that question of an individual or an organizational self-assessment, right? And I would say that that idea of who cares comes down to the individual or the organization. What do you care about what's exposed, right? And I'd say that's probably a, a good question to ask for most social media out there. But when it comes to foreign-owned, particularly Chinese-owned social media applications, there's a much larger discussion and factor at play, um, particularly um, what I would say is the threat equation, right? Um, threat is typically what's the capability, is there intent, and is there opportunity, right? And that gives you your overall threat equation. And with TikTok in particular, you have what's called the National Intelligence Law of the People's Republic of China. And essentially, this was passed in 2017 by the National People's Congress, and then it was uplated, I believe, a year later in 2018. But essentially, there's a couple articles in that intelligence law that that is much, much different than uh, U.S. policy. And it's Article 7. Article 7 essentially compels Chinese businesses... Uh, who are registered or operating in the PRC, People's Republic of China, to hand over information to Chinese intelligence agencies. And not only that, but this is a, this is a key component here, especially given that the TikTok CEO just recently came and gave testimony um, and was, was uh, denying some of the allegations, is that it is also to conceal the fact that these organizations give it to the Chinese intelligence agency. So not only are you compelled, but you also have to try to conceal the fact that you're providing that information. And then you also have Article 10, which makes the law applicable not just within the borders of China, but also Chinese companies that are operating abroad, right? So think tech companies, a lot of other Chinese companies, those organizations can also be compelled to hand over user data even if they're operating beyond Chinese borders, yeah, yeah. right? 
Um, so there's huge implications for this because the, the way the U.S. operates is that there's intelligence law in place. There's, there's executive orders. There's policy. There's regulations. There's all of these really important you know, red tape, as it were, to prevent the collection uh, against U.S. persons and U.S. organizations. And it's very detailed and it's geared towards protecting the privacy and sensitivity and security of U.S. persons. That's not reciprocated in China, right? China basically has, you know, carte blanche to gather whatever they want from these organizations. And they also have a completely different worldview than, than the U.S. does, right? Um, they've been known to target political dissidents. Um, there's targeting of the, the Uyghur Muslim population uh, in China, um, doing really atrocious things. And, uh, you know, they just don't have the same perspective on freedoms that the U.S. would. So that's something we have to take into consideration um, when we're when we're dealing with certain applications is what may this information be used for down the road beyond just. Revenue. OK, so let's say we have China or some country, any any country using social media as a method to collect information for nefarious activity in some kind of state sponsored security, you know, something really James Bond like I, I get that. But like. Isn't TikTok predominantly like 14-year-old girls uh, and, you know, maybe some other teenagers <laughs> as well, boys as well? But my point is, it, like, what would China want that data for? I don't get it. It's literally sure. like geolocation of a 15-year-old girl in, you know, central New Jersey. So there's two aspects here. First is they're not going to be children forever. Okay, right? true. That's and true. the information – the information collected on them may be of great strategic advantage to China in the future. Maybe these kids, and I hope they do, move into STEM fields, right, where they're, you know, working at, you know, leading technology companies and, and working on really high profile, you know, new projects and, and, and things like that, right? Having access to information on that individual could be used for extortion. It could be used for manipulation. Um, so just purely on that level, right, China's not a, a tomorrow thinker, right? They're thinking five, 10 plus years down the road when they're collecting this information. It could also be used for any type of, you know, future military endeavors. Um, if they're, they have information on particular individuals who are in sensitive government positions, they may be able to extort those individuals or influence their thinking, right? And then there, the other aspect is, is it's, present day, what type of content is being fielded up to users, right? And I, I think it's good for the audience to recognize there's actually two different versions of TikTok. The, we have the US version, and then you have uh, Douyin, I believe is the pronunciation for Chinese user, users. And there's been a lot of studies and reports done on the differences between those two applications. And you have the Chinese version of TikTok, which is fielding up STEM-related content, right? You know, you want to be an astronaut, you want to be an educator, you want to be a scientist, things like that, right, to Chinese kids. And then you have the U.S.-based version, which is predominantly pure entertainment or by the estimation of some actually destructive content that's fueling like suicidal ideation, self-harm, eating disorders, um, you know, pushing them into wanting to be a, a, everyone wants to be an influencer and everybody wants to do something that's, that's, that's crazy and just gets views and clicks instead of trying to push them into STEM fields. Um, and that's definitely, if that's happening, that's certainly within the modus operandi of, of China, right? Is they're trying to essentially usurp the U.S. in particular 
on the economic and world stage as a leader in STEM fields, right? So it would make sense if that is happening, that that's kind of falling in line with, with Chinese strategic policy. Yeah. And you said if a few times, do we know that that's happening? I mean, that they're doing that deliberately? Based on the studies that have been done with the two applications a couple of years ago, that was certainly happening. What we've seen recently is the scrutiny of TikTok in particular, things seem to have slightly shifted. So back when that application in particular was first analyzed um, and people were looking at it, there was a lot of stuff that was getting collected on TikTok, uh, or at least TikTok was collecting on users that if you were to go and analyze today, may not be collecting the same information or fielding up the same content. Um, there's an immense scrutiny. I mean, there were congressional hearings, you know, the infosec community was interested in TikTok and there was a lot of blowback of what was happening, just kind of poor security practices. And some of that stuff was corrected. And I think that's the big point here is that a simple application update could shift what's collected or what's not collected on that platform. If it's already existent on your device, if it's already on there, China could change what they want to collect and compel TikTok to share that information or to change their policy or what they're collecting. So I would say the TikTok of three to four years ago is probably different than the TikTok right now in June of 2023. Uh, but that's certainly not how it was in the past. And some of the things that they were collecting were, were uh, scary. And the level to which they were obfuscating what they were collecting um, was also novel for the social media platform industry okay. at large. Now, we've been talking about TikTok, and, and I get that. I understand why. But there are other very, very prominent social media platforms out there with millions or even billions of users. I mean, Facebook is the first one that comes to mind. But then there's also, of course, uh, Instagram and Snapchat. Uh, in the professional sphere, we have uh, LinkedIn. Um, you can probably consider the chat function of YouTube as a type of social media. And then we have these new platforms coming online like Mastodon and Blue Sky. And uh, so, so what are your thoughts on these other platforms other than TikTok? Yeah, I mean, it, most social media is going to collect very similar things. Um, and I think that's a big takeaway for the audience today is it's not necessarily always what the social media company is collecting. It may be the intentions behind that company that are of concern, right? Who You may come to feel comfortable sharing certain information with certain organizations, and you may not be comfortable sharing that with other organizations, right? And that's a, a calculus that we have to factor in when we come down to larger big picture issues like this, right? Where you have a particular nation you know, allied with or adversarial towards another nation and, you know, citizens from, let's say, the U.S. are using a Chinese-based application. There's larger implications to that, right? It's not just a, you know, platform that you hop on and have some fun with. That information could and very well may be used in the future for malicious purposes. So it really comes back to who's behind the application, and I want that to be a right. big takeaway. When it comes down to the actual collections off of things, like from a technical perspective, you can, you can track a lot of this stuff right through some type of man-in-the-middle applications, network sniffers. There's a couple of mobile applications that I've used in the past, too, that either create like a VPN tunnel or use the loopback address to filter traffic. Um, I've used Lockdown, Blockada. There's a bunch of others out there, but it'll let you see all of the 
application traffic on your mobile device that's going outbound. So certain API calls, certain domain calls, things like that. And you can see what these applications are doing. So you can kind of, um, you know, view what's occurring. And a lot of the stuff that's collected is over API right, right. calls. It's device permissions, just simply over HTTPS or something like that, right? Um, for TikTok in particular, they they do API calls, device permissions, HTTPS stuff, right? And and they're collecting on a permissions basis right now, like uh, network state, Wi-Fi state, um, if you're authenticated into the account or not, camera permissions, um, flashlight, internet access, other accounts that you have on TikTok. Uh, let's see, I'm just re reading through some of the things I put together here. So if audio recording is on, if vibrate is used, how long the screen's been on, things like that. Just, just baseline kind of application privileges or permissions. And then things that are sent over HTTPS could be like the operating system version, the resolution of your screen, the device brand and platform, CPU information, the language um, could be like longitudinal or lat latitudinal information. So kind of location-based stuff. Um, yeah, so just things stuff, like yeah. that. And then you could have like, yeah, a lot of different things that would be really of interest, you know, kind of tying something to you. And some of the other things that have been, been tracked by TikTok years ago, um, there was suspicions that they were capturing the IMEI and IMSI of mobile devices. So IMEI is the International Mobile Equipment Identifier. Basically, that's like the 15-digit mm -hmm. unique identifier right. for each device. So it's tied to your phone. Um, so if you get a new phone, that number will change. And even more concerning is the IMSI one, right? That's the International Mobile Subscriber Identifier, and that's particularly tied to your SIM card. So that typically follows you phone to phone. So even if you were using a particular application, it captured that IMSI and you went and got a new phone and popped your SIM card into that new phone, it's now going to track you on that new device. So it's going to know that even though you got a new device, you're the same user and it may start fielding you the same content or connecting, um, collecting information on what you're doing um, beyond just the device that you were but using. But this is all collecting information about who you are for some sort of behavior analysis. So they're, again, they're training a model and adding all yep. this to a very large data set. And also for behavior modification, like you said, so they're influencing a population. Uh, maybe it's the American population of a certain age group, maybe a certain socioeconomic status, wh whatever it happens to be. But is there anything going on that we would say is like a step further as far as um, uh, actually trying to exfiltrate data that would be deemed more than private, not necessarily secret because I'm not like, you know, I'm not the federal government, but something that I literally don't want to share, but they now have access to. Well, I'll answer the, I'm, I'm not aware of a specific instance like that. That's not to say that if there was a particular information that they were after, they wouldn't be able to get it. They absolutely would be mm -hmm. able to get it right. Because that organization would be compelled by national law in China to collect and gather that information as obscurely as possible so that they can conceal the fact that they're doing it, right? And I think that that concealing aspect is another thing I, I wanted to highlight here is that there's a lot of social media out there and a lot of these social media companies collect the same information and it's surely not all malicious. 
But one unique thing with TikTok in particular was the level to which they went to obfuscate what they were collecting and how they were collecting it. So a good example is not just using HTTPS, but they would have a proprietary uh, algorithm laid over top of that to re-encrypt and send information off of the device, right? API calls also had a very custom signature that they were using to send off information. And the level of obfuscation that went into uh, that platform in particular and what they were collecting was alarming to the security community, right? And, and it's an enormous undertaking to try to figure out all of those different aspects, right? You'd basically have to go in and reverse almost every single native library available right and manually inspect you know obfuscated functions to figure out what's being done right so it's not just that they're collecting information it's that there were extra measures and great lengths taken to prohibit identification of certain things being taken and because you can update an application over time it's very plausible that they may enable a certain function or update the application for a particular user for a time to collect something and then turn that setting off or turn that off so that they're not collecting that anymore, right? This all goes back again. It's, it's compelled by law. If China comes to, you know, ByteDance, the parent owner of TikTok, and says, we want you to specifically monitor these particular people and we want you to collect as much information as possible, ByteDance is then going to go to the TikTok CEO and probably the, the company writ large, and, and they're going to say, you need to collect this information, and then you're going to have to conceal that you're doing it. Something like that would not happen in the U.S. with U.S. Uh, companies. In fact, it's, there's been instances in the past that are great use cases for this, right? Apple's a great example. There was an iPhone that was used by a, um, a shooter years ago. That particular iPhone... They wanted to backdoor, they wanted Apple to unlock it and decrypt it so that they could get access to that material, and Apple refused. And it was one of those really hard decisions because, yes, we want to know if there's other attacks going to happen, if there's going to be more ramifications beyond just this singular event. But backdooring that device and allowing the decryption of that device now is potentially going to set precedent to violate the privacy of everybody else using that device right, right, right? Yeah. or using that particular application. Um, so U.S. companies have the law on their sides to push back against certain requests, whereas Chinese companies don't have that wherewithal or uh, law backing to kind of push back if Chinese intelligence agencies come and ask something similar. All right. So then what are some of the things that we can do to protect ourselves while we're using social media? I mean, I guess there's always the turn everything off uh, method, right? And we just don't use social media, don't install TikTok, don't use Facebook, don't have a, t a Twitter account. But assuming that we're going to use social media, um, there has to be a way that we can use it safely. Maybe it's operating system choice or not using the app and then opting to use the browser instead or always using a VPN. I don't know. You tell me. What are the ways that we can be safe when using social media? Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a bunch of things that people can do. Uh, particularly, it comes down to kind of device choice in a, in a lot of cases. So using a you know, web browser on your PC is much better than using your mobile device and actually installing the application on that device, right? There's another level of privileges that's granted to that application once it has residence on your actual device. 
compared to you just visiting it through a browser. Um, if I was going to kind of give like a, a flow, as it were, of kind of privacy, if you were to use social media, like an extreme case, extreme privacy oriented case would be don't use it at all, sure. right? Don't use yeah. any social media, but that's probably not doable for most individuals or really any organization out there because you want to get your message out and, and broadcast the good things that you're doing. Well, it's like the whole idea of saying that I don't want to get into a car accident, so I'm right. never going to drive again, or I'll never get driven again. I'll never be in a car again. I mean, that's just not realistic. Um, and so in the same way, I mean, we could say, oh, I, I don't want to have any uh, privacy concerns or security breaches on my, on my personal information, so I'll never use uh, social media again. Well, I mean, that's kind of the same thing. You know, social media is a tool. It's a technology. It's amoral in that sense, in, in the sense that it's just ones and zeros over a wire. And then the morality and the ethics come in with how that technology is used, uh, either by individuals trying to exfiltrate data or uh, companies that are taking information, perhaps for just innocent like business purposes, but without people's permission, right? And, that, and therein lies the problem. Um, and, and you mentioned that there are some methods that we can do, uh, like opting for uh, using a particular social media platform uh, via browser instead of installing the application. Um, but I do have to say that I've used some of the uh, browser versions of some, some uh, social media platforms. I'm thinking of one in particular. And they are far less functional than using the application that you would install directly on like my MacBook or on my phone. Um, so I have to assume then that that is – it suggests to me at least that these uh, companies, these social media companies, are pushing people to use the app, right? Yeah, that's, that's – that's very common, right? There's a, not only because of the permissions or having the application on your device, you have, you know, better opportunity to use certain functionality. Um, that's kind of standard, I think, for a lot of software, but it very well could be used to just push users to trying to use the application instead of visiting over the browser. But quickly to just finish the flow that I was going to outline is, right, the extreme case is not using it at all. Next best would be not having the application installed, not using a mobile device at all, and using some type of virtual machine on a PC to go visit your social media profiles where it's containerized and you know, you're only posting and providing information that you can very tightly control. The next best case is just using a browser on a PC. Then I would say probably a browser on a mobile device and last, last resort, actually installing the application on a mobile device. Um, there's other things you can do too. So we talked about the different specific platforms are better than others. They're not all alike. So keep that into consideration. VPNs are great, right? They've become kind of commercialized and mainstream. I don't really know anybody who's not aware of what a VPN is now, but VPNs are still very helpful. Um, and then also be careful of what you share, right? Be careful of when you're enrolling on these platforms, what information you're providing to enroll, what information you're sharing when you're on the platforms, Always review the settings. I, I get critiqued sometimes you know, amongst my family of being the settings guy. But whatever I install on my, my PCs or whatever I install on my mobile devices, I always go through the settings. And as soon as I see a privacy section or an area where I can kind of lock things down and, and give myself or you know, my family more privacy, I'll usually enable or disable those settings respectively. So just check out the settings. There's a lot of privacy functionality, especially built into... Um, U.S.-based social media companies in recent years to try to safeguard your information. Um, and then definitely separate personal from business use. So a lot of people will kind of conflate social media accounts between personal use and business use. That can get 
a little bit muddy, just generally speaking, between personal and business, but it also opens you up to additional, you know, scrutiny with people knowing here's the personal things you do, and then here's the business that you work for and what you do, and they can use that for additional social engineering and targeting of building a, a kind of a, a bigger picture of who you are and what you do. So then what specific things should I be? This is for the person who has no boundaries, right? They're out there. I know them. I know some of them by name who don't care. Um, speaking to them, what are the the few top things that you would recommend they consider locking down and not sharing? So off the top of my head, I don't share pictures of my family on social media very rarely. If I do, it's like a, a long distance picture that's kind of funny of like my kid way out in a lake. I, I don't like to share pictures of my family because I feel like that's, I don't know who's out there looking at this stuff. Um, but what, what else? What, what should people be concerned about sharing? I w- me personally as well, family information. Um, I think that that certainly opens you up to another level of social engineering, right? If someone wants to get access to you or manipulate you, they can then you know conceivably go after your family. So anything personal oriented, like, you know, family, you know, immediate family, somewhat extended family, I would be very careful of posting that stuff online. I would be careful of posting like a lot of travel, especially if it's personal. We've seen that before where someone posts, hey, I'm going to be away for a week and then their house gets robbed or something like that, right? Because, hey, you are going to be away for a week and everybody knows you're not going to be home now. Um, But a a lot of other things on a more of a a technical level is ensure like geotagging in your photos is turned off. So a lot of times people will take a picture, they'll upload it to these platforms and all the metadata in that photo potentially identifies literally almost to the coordinate level of where you took that picture, when you took that picture, all of that stuff. Um, So be careful of that. I would also say generally uh, speaking for most social media, uh, if you don't have to share it publicly, just share only your social media with um, connections or contacts that you already have or friends you already have on social media. Um, that can get a little challenging with things like Twitter because it's purposefully built to, to be out there. Um, but just then be careful what you post on there, right? Um, I wouldn't post things, you know, that are more sensitive or private on a public platform like that, that you, you know, would consider just doing over a direct message and assume any direct messages sent over these platforms are no longer yours that, if someone wants to access them, they probably can. Um, and then last, lastly, I would say um, for LinkedIn in particular, people put a lot of information, like very granular stuff about their job and what they do and the fields they work in and what projects they were on. Some of that stuff can be proprietary or even classified information. So just be very careful of your career record on sites like LinkedIn because that one could give someone a competitive advantage because they know what particular technologies you're using. It could give like a cyber actor some type of foothold to say, hey, you know, they're using this particular firewall appliance or this particular network intrusion, you know, know, model, or they have this particular email filtering service, or, you know, they're using this for their, their, you know, host level protection, right? And it just gives them more information so that they can kind of start building an attack model or profile to, to have success. Um, and then you have too the, the more strategic stuff we've been talking about where foreign organizations, foreign governments will take interest in certain fields, STEM in particular, where they see you on LinkedIn being extremely successful 
you, maybe you have a bunch of different you know, publications you've worked on and you're well-known in the industry and you would be a phenomenal target for solicitation, right? So they reach out to you, try to build connections, you know, start targeting you with certain things and they're just trying to collect information based on that relationship that they could use for a competitive advantage. So ultimately what we're doing is trying to use common sense with a technology, um, which we do across the board in our lives with other technologies. I use common sense when I use my stove. Um, but then being more cognizant of what I'm, I'm putting out there. Um, so, you know, for example, you, you mentioned the metadata that's embedded in pictures. That's just a simple thing. It's just a simple setting that I can change, I assume. I've never actually, I've, I've never actually done that. So that's something I'm going to do right away when we're done recording. Um, and, and then, you know, the understanding that, that a lot of that information is being pulled in, not necessarily to hack you and steal all your bank account information and therefore all your money, but to build a, a, a profile of who you are and, you know, for me, I, I'm not obsessed with privacy necessarily, but that does concern me because I want to know why. How am I being manipulated? How is my information being used in ways that I don't approve of? Yeah, exactly. Yep. And I, I think it's important. We do live in a, quote unquote, globalized world, and we are highly interconnected all across the, the globe. But there there are bigger things at play, right? There's There's the commercial level and the economics of it all where a lot of international organizations work together but there are nations at the military and strategic political levels that are adversarial to american way of life and to certain things that we're doing and they will leverage this information to their advantage in the future if we comes down to some type of future altercation so you know there's a lot of novel ways when you get to know somebody at a granular level like a social media company may be able to do where they can cater certain news to you or they could extort you in a particular way. Maybe you, you know, we're looking at stuff that, you know, you would want to remain private, right? And then that organization could then come to you and extort you and say, hey, we're going to expose what you were looking at or we're going to expose this relationship you have or, you know, we're going to release these direct messages that you thought were private and it's going to destroy your career or your reputation or Stuff like that, right? People don't think about stuff like that when they're using these applications. And a adversarial nation will be very interested in leveraging that type of stuff down the road if it comes down to it to try to gain, again, a, a, an advantage, whether it's militarily, economically, or, or, or whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And ultimately, you, know, you mentioned direct messages, but really anything that goes onto that platform is now their intellectual yep. property. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's that's another great point that people don't think about is it's it's your information and it may be private to you, but once you put it online, it's it's no longer private information and it very may very well be the the intellectual property of whatever application or company you're using. So, uh, maybe maybe this is not answerable, but if I if I put uh, pictures of my kids on Facebook, does Facebook now have rights to those pictures? They do. Yeah, they have rights to the pictures that are posted on their platform. Yep. This actually makes me think of the fact that though I, me personally, may be very good about my social media hygiene, if you will, right? Making sure that I have the, the settings uh, on my phone uh properly adjusted so that way there is no metadata being revealed in the pictures that I post on Twitter. I don't post pictures of my kids on Facebook. Uh, I'm careful about sharing location on LinkedIn, Wh whatever, all of those things, right? 
But then I go to a birthday party with my family and friends, and, you know, I have family and friends that take pictures of me and my family, and without me knowing it, post those pictures on their social media. And and nothing nefarious, nothing untoward going on. It's just, you know, friends and family posting fun and, and happy pictures and happy messages, but without my permission and maybe without my even knowing about it. So there is still that issue out there, even if you are really good about your own social media. Yeah, that's that's tough, right? You go to a, you go to a wedding or a big family function, and and you know people take pictures of just the family, and then they post them online. Um, the one thing that I have always found um, helpful, at least personally, is that you know they they are not going to be able to tag me because I don't have a social media profile to tag in that image. So unless they explicitly, you know, mention me or. or call me out or my family member by name, you know, it's going to be harder to tie things back. But, you know, it gets down to some legalese stuff when you get into, you know, if you post an image on Facebook, is it actually their image or do they just own a particular aspect of it or just the image on Facebook? There's a lot of complexity there that I I can't speak to at a legal level. Um, But certainly when you post stuff online, it's now public kind of domain that's a, just an accepted thing nowadays. And then with a particular platform, you know, they have some level of ownership over that information. So um, I haven't come up with a good solution for people taking pictures uh, and posting them on without my consent. But, you know, it's just something that you want to be careful of. Yeah, yeah, it's caused a little consternation in my uh, extended family. Uh, and, you know, the, what, what it comes down to is that folks will come back to me and say, who cares? Like, what's the difference? I mean, you're online. And I'm like, well, you know, there's certain things that I'm okay with putting online. It's my choice. But there's certain things that, that aren't okay for me. And, and again, going back to what I said earlier, I know that there's a spectrum there, that some people are okay with much more or much less, and some with none at all. You mentioned that you have no social media profile whatsoever. Um, but there is, there is a line for me, and uh, when it comes to my immediate family and, and certain uh, elements of my personal life, they, they don't go out there. So, for example, I use Twitter almost entirely for tech stuff. There's a very little bit that I put out there that's um, personal, and, and to be honest, that's more just to show that I'm a real person and I don't just, like, retweet links to, like, some tech article, right? Um, you know, I, and I use, I use LinkedIn for the same thing, uh, zero personal stuff on LinkedIn, um, you know, I've experimented with some other social media, but it's it's mostly, like you said, in a strategic way to, to build a brand, to connect with other like-minded engineers. Yes, there's a tech community out there. You know, I remember using, uh, you know, chat in the in the late 90s when it was brand new and even before that. So so it's a, it's a very helpful technology for folks that want to get together and have these discussions and help each other get through a cutover that went sideways or something like that, right? Um, so there's a lot of value there, but uh, but certainly, but certainly, it's very eye-opening, or it has been very eye-opening in this last uh, this last hour discussing with you what's being collected, to what extent, how, uh, from a technical perspective, um, a lot of it without our knowledge whatsoever. As soon as we hit accept, um, there it kind of opens the floodgates, right? Yeah, yeah. Once, once you know, it's one thing to visit a social media website and not have an account, right? Twitter's a great example. A lot of people can view Twitter feeds and stuff on Twitter and get news from Twitter without necessarily having to have an account. Um, and then surely we mentioned already, not all social media is created equal, right? So your potential exposure on Twitter is going to be much different than all the information you may have on a Facebook account, if it's still public and not private to just your contacts compared to 
using TikTok and, you know, the stuff that's collected there, right? There's, there's all these different risk and threat calculations for different platforms. So, you know, it's a hard, hard decision to make for a lot of individuals and organizations on, on what to use and what not to use. Um, but it's a, important to kind of know going into it that there's a lot of information you may not realize is being collected and it may yeah. just purely be for revenue generation for that company but there may also be ulterior motives down the road and you don't want to get wrapped up in something that you were unintentionally scooped into because you just didn't have the knowledge sure. going into it. Does CIS and, and other like organizations uh, actively and proactively monitor social media for this kind of activity? We don't proactively monitor social media specifically for what we're talking about here, but we certainly monitor from the ISAC perspective, you know, posts made by threat actors or other, you know, malicious actors against election offices or against, you know, state, local, tribal, territorial, U.S. governments, anything that's going to be, you know, affecting our membership base, we'll monitor for that type of stuff. But this is more of a, you know, telemetry based kind of long-term strategic type of thing of what some of these platforms mm -hmm. collect and what they could be used for. That's a little bit outside of the domain of CIS, but we keep a close eye on stuff like this. Particularly, you know, a couple of years ago, one of the teams I oversee, the cyber threat intelligence team, took a particular interest to TikTok, particularly because of the thing with the level of obfuscation uh, that was in place on that application and some of the things that they were known to have been collecting years ago. And we wrote a blog post just kind of bringing awareness to it. Around that same time, you know, DOD banned TikTok on their devices. You know, a lot of states are now banning TikTok. Um, it's banned off of certain federal devices and things like that just because of the risk of what it could be used for down the road or even presently to collect information. And we currently have a blog post on our website. Um, if people want to go on cisecurity.org, they can go check it out. It's TikTok Influence Operations and Data Practices Threaten U.S. Security. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. Um, so, so then, who is doing the monitoring? And and I mean, you mentioned some some studies earlier. Who who are doing these studies? Is it uh, government and paragovernment organizations, or the, at least the security arms of those organizations? Surely, U.S. governments are interested in this stuff. Um, I'm not going to go through and name them, but most of the the really interesting public researches that have been done is through you know independent security researchers and certain security based companies who've released reports you know, outlining, hey, we checked out this application, you know, here's what we observed, here's the things that we saw it, you know, reaching out to and how it's doing it and, you know, just bringing awareness to the space. Well, TJ, this has been a really great conversation so far and we are approaching an hour, so I'd like to wrap it up. Before we do, I, I'd like to say, uh, my goodness, is social media a love-hate relationship for me? Uh, I mean, over the years, I have connected with so many great engineers, many of whom I've become friends with and, uh, and, and who have helped me as an engineer and, and in my career. And, and I hope I've also been able to help a, a little bit as well. Uh, and, and also just the, uh, the community that I've been able to be a part of uh, via various social media. I mean, that's how I've built my career over the better part of a decade now. Uh, but at the same time, 
Yeah, yeah, especially in very recent days, uh, growing concern over security issues and, uh, and, and probably more so privacy issues. And of course, not to mention some of the stuff that I see in my feed these days. So, so for me personally, uh, I still value social media very much, but I appreciate the eye-opening conversation that, uh, that we've, we've had and the, the information that you've been able to share. So as we close out now, TJ, uh, if folks have a question for you uh, or a comment, uh, how can they reach out to you? Yeah, I would direct them um, to CIS, particularly media uh, at cisecurity.org, and I'll pass along that information over to you, Phil. And if they have any questions, um, they can write them through there and be happy to happy to answer them. Great. And I won't ask you for any social media because I know you don't have any, but you can find me online still. I am active on Twitter at network underscore Phil. You can search my name in LinkedIn. And, uh, and if you have an idea for a show... Uh, or you want to be a guest, please reach out to us at telemetrynow at kentic.com. So until next time, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.